Jen, it's Monday night, and I know there's something that made you do a spit take. What'd you disagree with this week? Well, just like Frank Gore from about a month ago, how dare Ryan Fitzpatrick retire? <laughs> I'm bummed, man. From a fantasy perspective, like I loved, you know, that that kind of, you know, off-season slash training camp ritual of him coming in and stealing the job from some young buck, you know, <laughs> getting in there, having four to five fantasy relevant weeks and then not or getting hurt or whatever. It's, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage for, for each fantasy season. So I'm kind of bummed. I mean, listen, I'm happy for the guy. He had a great career out of what was seemingly nothing to start with. And uh, he had a great career in the NFL and he had a great fantasy career. So I will bummed. I, I will be missing his personality throughout the season, but uh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. We will miss you, Fitzmagic. I'm with you. We will miss you very much, Fitzmagic. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, now that actually Jen brought up Fitzmagic retiring, I, I am a little bummed out. And it just makes me think about just the fact that where where are these the, the moments that guys like Fitz, who we know will never get into the Hall of Fame, but there has to be like a hall of like a hall of moments or just like these iconic things that have happened throughout the league and throughout league history that, that just a way to enshrine some of those things like Fitz magic, like walking in wearing Deshaun Jackson's chain or, you know, the, uh, the throw that he made going up against Oakland to knock them out of the playoffs when he had to throw that touchdown with his like helmet being ripped, like completely to the side. It's like all of those like things that Fitz magic has been a part of none of those singularly will ever get him like anywhere past just like being just lovable and just popular throughout the NFL and, and all of its fans. But it's just, I wish there is a way that we would just be able to like, if we went to Canton and there just be maybe just like a hall of very good, even though I don't know if that's magic even fall like falls into that category. But if there was something like that, where we could just go see that moment, like where he just went absolutely berserk after throwing a touchdown and he was just like, you know, completely jacked, like those types of things. I wish there was a place for that. So Jen, hundred percent agree with you uh, on your spit take for today. But other than that, I'm doing well. Jen, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm good. We got June here. I'm, uh, we're in summer mode in this house for the most part. Um, my, my child, I have a 13 year old boy and he did not leave his room today. He was on Minecraft with two of his friends. No joke, like on some sort of, <laughs> I could hear him on like the discord talking for literally the entire day. Um, not great uh, parenting on my end, but I told him this is his one day to do that. And then um, tomorrow, tomorrow he has to leave the house, but uh, no, otherwise I'm doing great. Brandon, you. I'm doing good, doing pretty good. Yeah, getting ready for summer. My kids, this is the last week of of their kindergartens and preschools and whatnot, and so we'll be uh, looking for ways to entertain them. I uh, want to wish a, a very happy birthday. We're a few days late to our friend Talia. Uh, we're a couple days late, but our friend Talia, happy birthday. Uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, and let's talk about ways to celebrate our birthday this year. My favorite way is to hop on Underdog. And to go and do some best ball action. So, folks, if you want to spend your birthday drafting some best ball rosters on Underdog, we have a promo code right now. You deposit $10 in a new Underdog account, get a deposit bonus match, plus a 4 for 4 Pro subscription. Just enter 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4 in the promo code box to make that happen. 
Uh, before we get into our episode, which we're going to do part two of our best ball targets, we're going to cover the middle rounds this uh, this week after doing late rounds last week. I want to know what stat of the week Chris brought. All right, so last week we talked about wide receivers and we dove into just the different archetypes of wide receivers there are and how you can at least try and pick apart how you can find at least a decent wide receiver like towards the back end. This uh, For this week, I looked into running backs. And one of the stats that I was looking at or the stat that I kind of revolved the, uh, this week's analysis around was rushing success rate. And over at Football Outsiders, it's a little bit different than trying to use something like just straight efficiency, like EPA per play, but they wind up looking at, they use a model in order to calculate the success rate, which varies on in terms of down distance game situation, things of that nature. But I do think that it's poignant, or at least it's, it's important for us to remember running backs. Like while they are parts of our fantasy roster, like they're still the primary component, like of what they do on the field is rushing. And since 2015, over half of the running backs that have been in the top 24 have been in the top half of the league in terms of rushing success rate. That's recorded by football outsiders. That's a minimum 100 rushes, but 57.1%. So that's a fairly significant hit rate. And I think that's one of the things that we kind of miss, where we always look at not just rushing, but also targets with the, I mean, with, I guess, the onslaught of half PPR, PPR leaks and all that. But I mean, we can still find like good running backs like later on, like good rushers as well, whether it's A.J. Dillon, Mark Ingram back in 2019, Chris Carson. I mean, those are guys that I think for the most part, some we like we tend to downgrade just because from fantasy standpoint, we want the guys that can catch passes all the time. But I do think that's important to acknowledge some of the guys that can be just good running backs, like good at football. So I don't know, like Brandon, I know you've been from a trivia standpoint. I know you can probably recognize a ton of the names that I came across while I was doing research for this. Like it even like a couple of these names actually like came to mind. But if you go all the way back to like 2015, Matt Forte, uh, Rashad Jennings, I completely forgot about him from the Giants days. But like those are the types of guys that I think we kind of I don't know, we 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 discount some of them until there are RB4 on our rosters. They pop up for a few good weeks and we're happy that we have them. But I mean, do you feel the same way that it's just kind of like if they don't have a massive target share or receiving component? I think we as the fantasy community, we kind of like downplay like what they could really be like in terms of not even just from a fantasy aspect, from but for a real football perspective as well. Yeah, I think we see that a lot with Nick Chubb right now. We're seeing it with Kenneth Walker right now. Uh, these are guys that are super talented running the ball, and we're not expecting any passing down work. And so as such, we're discounting them, and we're, we're thinking that they're not going to succeed. Now, obviously, we don't know what we're going to see from Kenneth Walker, and there's some uh, murk over there in Seattle uh, to, to contend with as well. But we know that Nick Chubb is an elite fantasy running back. We know that he's a talented enough runner to put up good numbers, even without the passing down work. Derrick Henry's another one. Uh, obviously, they're the exception and not the rule. But Derrick Henry for years has been drafted several spots lower than maybe he should be because we don't get the passing volume. So I, I think it's I think it's true. Uh, I think it's a good to look at. And I love that this is an additional statistic uh, to evaluate running back talent without just saying opportunity equals fantasy success, because that while that still seems to be the formula we lean on, it's not necessarily the ends all be all way to evaluate. And it's simplistic, right? Like, are you good 
at doing the primary thing that your job requires you to right. do. <laughs> like you're a running back. Are you good at actually running the football? And I think time and like time and time again and year in and year out, like we've been not necessarily inundated, but I would say that the guys that have been all the way up at the top They've been good rushers, like Jonathan Taylor, Todd Gurley in his heyday, Saquon Barkley, even Christian McCaffrey, like all good rushers. But I think we've they've their receiving work has overshadowed, like or at least from a fantasy sense, has overshadowed like what they truly are, like once they're out there on the field. And the fact that they can be that dual threat, the fact that they can be like a terror between the tackles, but also once they get out in space, they can juke out a corner or a safety. I mean, it's just, it really is something once you actually like go back and watch some of those highlights, which I actually do plan on doing like after we get done here, just to, I mean, go back and relive some of those like moments back in like the 2016, like heyday, like even like, remember like that 27, was that the 2017 year when it was a like Garrett Blunt, like going for like 19 touchdowns or something like that. It's like those types of guys, again, almost like the Fitz magic uh, discussion, never going to make it into the hall of fame, but for just for that moment in time for that, like, I don't know. 14, 15, 16 weeks. Like they were the guys that we considered to be like the best at their position. But Jen, for you, I mean, how are you like, do you, and I'm sure we'll get into this because that's part of today's discussion, but do you try and find like some of those guys that you think like, are you just good at running the ball? Like, is it really just that, that simplistic for you? Like once we get out of like the early rounds, like once we get past, you know, the, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Alvin Kamara's and all those guys, is that really what you're looking for? Like once you get like towards it, like into the middle and late rounds? Yeah. I mean, I, can you run the bar? You go to football. I mean, it start, for me, it actually even starts at the top with Derrick Henry. I know Brandon mentioned him, but I mean, he's falling so far. And it's like the guy, I mean, all he does is put up fantasy points. Whether he catches the ball or not, whether he's running the ball, it doesn't really matter. And people are so like – hyper focused on they have to be pass catchers if it's a PPR, any kind of PPR format, that people are like actually dismissing Henry and taking, you know, guys that possibly aren't going to be as good in, in, in an offense. It's, I don't know. I, I just, I like Henry. And then once you get into those, you know, those mid rounds, um, to me, it's, yeah, are they going to score fantasy points regardless? It almost goes back to, you know, it's a good compliment to what your stat of the week was that last week with the quarterbacks and that Konami code is not necessarily what it's all cracked up to be, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a similar mm -hmm. situation. Like, Everyone is so intense on getting these guys, these quarterbacks that are running. Same thing with, you know, from a running back perspective. Everyone is so intent on, like, I have to have a guy that's going to catch X amount of passes that they're forgetting the, the fact that a lot of these teams now are run heavy and they're going to get however many carries a game and you're still going to get those yards and they're still going to get those points. So I wouldn't dismiss, you know, the guys that are not as, uh, as pass heavy. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know, that could be like my, my boomer take, like for, you know, from a, from a stat of the week perspective, but it's like guys like, Oh, who's like the, the backup running back for the chiefs back in like the 27 Spencer Ware. So it's like guys like that. God, it's I haven't like, heard that name in years. Right? It's like, that's, I mean, but the, it takes me back to those guys like where the pass catching element was never going to be a massive component of their game. But at the same time, it was like, if you get them in the right situation, they can be not just effective on the field from a real football sense, but also they could be effective from a fantasy sense as well. And Spencer, Ray, we had like quite a few games, like it wasn't a ton, but a few games where he was able to get into like maybe the top 12, top 24 
because he was attached to a good offense, came, came in at those times where it was either short yardage, salting the game away, something like that. And that's where you can get that effective type of production in, not just in real life, but also fantasy. So I thought it was cool actually being able to see or just like distill running back production into just like the quote unquote essence of what a running back is. And are you good at running the football? And for the most part, Yes, fantasy, uh, like for fantasy purposes, running backs are good and efficient at running the football, but that's not just the guys that we draft in the first like six rounds. We can still find effective running backs once we get into the mid and late rounds as well. We just have to like continue to search for those guys. And I think for the most part, there's enough data out there to at least point us in the right direction. But I think film watching and other folks that are avid film watchers can at least point you in the direction to find out what traits you're looking for if you want to dig into that. I, I've decided that for the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame, Fitzmagic Wing, the inaugural opening of the Fitzmagic Wing in the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame, will have all nine of his jerseys, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Hanging up there with like fantasy points per game for each one of them or something like that. And I, can I have the Peyton Hillis Madden cover uh, oh. in, in the Fitzmagic Fantasy Football Hall of Fame? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just stuff like that. Like, I wish there was a way to enshrine some of those things, like physically in time, like just either pictures, photos, or just like that jerseys or whatever that we could just go in and just be like, I remember that. Or even just like, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, because like, Odell Beckham is probably not going to get into the Hall of Fame. I don't think so. Probably not. But, but he has one of the, the greatest catches like of all time. But how do you enshrine like that moment other than putting it into an NFT and trying to sell it? I was it's just like, going to say, yeah, that's yeah, but, exactly like, what's happening. But is there a way that we could just like capture that moment and you could just go see like, oh, I remember that, yeah, that thing. But yeah. There, there's a ton of those. That's it. We just, we need the fantasy football hall of fame. That's what we need. We need maybe Alex we should, Christmas day game. Maybe we should work we on that as we a, should. uh, as a business venture. <laughs> yeah. It, or, it could be a nonprofit to be a nonprofit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, I want to talk about a giveaway. We've got a Scott Fishbowl entry giveaway we're doing right now. Uh, if you want to be a part of the Scott Fishbowl this year, get an invitation to it. It's a great, uh, fun thing every year that Scott Fish does. Uh, we have a giveaway this week. If you'd like to win an entry into it, just go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, that's youtube.com slash C slash four for four football, or you can just search four for four football on YouTube and you'll find it. Take a screenshot that shows you subscribed, tweet it to our Twitter account at four for four football, and the winner will be announced on the show next week. So subscribe to YouTube screenshot tweeted to tweeted at us and we'll be good to go uh we will announce it next week so uh get those entries in and join the fun and scott fish bowl so let's do our main topic this is part two of our underdog best ball strategy mid-round targets this is round six through 11 or picks 61 through 132 if you like that uh we by the way have a ton of best ball strategy articles a lot of them are written by jen uh, a lot of them are also written by TJ Hernandez, who's just an ace with this stuff. Uh, go and check that stuff out. It's a we've got our landing page. It's just four for four dot com slash articles slash best ball fantasy football. You can find it. Uh, it's got a ton of resources there, and some of the things that we talk about are going to be talked about in detail uh, on that page. So uh, we'll check out those articles. Jen's late round article is is up from last week but uh so before we get into that let's talk strategy real quick mid-round best ball um jen i want to start with you when you're looking at the middle rounds 
how dependent is it on an er on your early draft strategy? So, you know, the picks that you're taking in the early rounds, is that heavily dependent upon, um, you know, does that massively impact your middle round strategy? Or are you basically looking at the same targets regardless? I think it, it has it has some kind of, uh, I wouldn't say heavily, but yes. I mean, it really depends. Everything for me, like I don't go into a draft like, all right, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I never do that. Um, it, it a lot of it for me depends on on draft spot in particular. If I'm in the first half of the draft, I may approach it differently than I'm in the, in the last half of the draft. Um, but I think it really depends. I mean, I, I have certain things, and I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I have certain things that I like to accomplish in the middle rounds, um, regardless of what I'm doing. So I guess it's kind of half and half. Like I have a few things I want to accomplish, and then the other half is flexible. That was kind of a weird answer, but that, that's what it is. No, that makes sense. Anything different from you, Chris? Uh, slightly, just because what I do in the early rounds, like does at least for me, heavily influence like how I approach the mid rounds, just given the draft capital that I would allocate like at either of those positions. And for running back, because if you look at the overall uh, roster constructions that have typically gotten through and like either had high advance rates, either just to getting through like week 15 into the regular playoffs or even advancing into the semifinals, into the finals, you're looking at a fewer number of running backs that we're drafting uh, in a piece that I wrote. Uh, for either FFPC, then also looking at like underdog as well. I mean, the number of running backs typically selected are two to three less than what you're going to have for wide receivers. So at underdog, if you're drafting eight wide receivers. Typically, it's like five running backs that are that typically has like the higher amount of playoff advance rates. And FFPC, surely it could be like nine wide receivers selected over there because you have more roster spots, uh, roster spots, but you have like six running backs getting drafted. So that type of uh, push pull or the amount of the ratio between running backs and wide receivers tends to change, but you're, you're dealing with fewer positions or fewer draft slots allocated to the running back. So if I draft two, let's say to start off my draft. So if I go, I don't know, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, or whatever combination that you want to come up with. You so want that like that one. <laughs> that, that, that was actually pretty sick. Not going to lie, but think about it though. I've drafted two of my five that I'm probably going to draft in total. So I'm looking now, I'm now going to be looking at other positions, wide receiver, tight end, quarterback, or whatever the case may be. So if you if you look at like the big picture of how many that you would typically draft in total and how many you've already selected in those first few rounds, that can kind of give you an idea of how many you would want to take throughout the rest of the draft itself. Again, if, if you do go running back early and you do want to secure those targets and touches for your running back at the start, all right, well, then maybe I'll wait until, let's say, maybe Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards Hilaire goes in like the sixth or seventh round or a Miles Sanders ish. So, like, I can have some more time to get uh, pick up on some of the other positions. And maybe I'll take a shot on one of the rookie running backs if I really want to later, or a guy that has at least some injury upside, like I say, a Daryl Henderson who's going in like the ninth or tenth round a little bit later. So, it's just my. Uh, my selections early help inform like how I should wind up going in the mid to late rounds, just because I know I only have so many draft slots that I should be allocating to that position in total anyway. That makes it the running back dead zone, Chris. That's four to eight rounds, four to eight. Is that the running back dead four zone? Four to six is typically about like where okay. I've seen like four to six, five to seven, depending on which platform that you're that you're looking at. In the studies that I had done, like from like 2019 through 2021 you can actually see a dip 
in either the probability, because I used a probability density function in order to measure what's the likelihood of you finding a, a running back that is, has a high advance rate or even meets the baseline advance rate, which is something our own Sam Hoppen has come up with, which is 16.7%. But the probability of finding a running back that actually has a greater than the baseline advance rate actually drops around that same time frame, like where the dead zone has typically been at, like around that, again, five to seven, four to six, like somewhere in that range. And that's not because the running backs look they are bad. It's the opportunity costs associated with that running back because you're competing with a number of, let's say, strong wide receiver candidates, not just wide receiver twos, but wide receiver twos that can turn into wide receiver ones on their own offense. So that's where the that's where the running back dead zone like really comes from. It's not just the fact that those guys could have high bust rates or high injury rates, but the opportunity costs associated with them. That's why over the past three seasons consecutively, once you get out of that like five to seven range, you're now starting to compete with lesser wide receivers, guys that have a lesser chance of exceeding their ADP. And that's where then the production of that wide receiver versus the production of that running back taken at the same cost starts to equilibrate. And so now you would have a better chance of finding a better running back at that time frame. So it's not that those guys are bad. It's just that the other guys are a little bit better. That makes sense. And also, uh, for those playing bingo, equilibriate is the winning bingo word. So uh, cross that out on your Chris vocabulary sheet and send it in. That's uh, We have other presents. It's mainly just a big thesaurus. So, uh, Jen, <laughs> uh, favorite position group in these middle rounds? I'm curious, are you banging out running backs, receivers, or do you have like a favorite specific group that you're targeting? You know, in the in the six to eleven range, I like to grab two quarterbacks in that in that realm. Uh, you were talking about you know TJ writing these articles. He's been very you know I, I don't know the exact numbers and, and the advance rate and all of that, but um, that was the kind of the pocket last year that had you know one of the highest advance rates. If you grabbed two top twelve quarterbacks in that you know somewhere in the six to nine range, I think round wise is where it is. So. I've been kind of trying to go that route as well. Um, I kind of like to just kind of have, you know, you have maybe one top tier running back that is a, a more of a dual threat guy. And then a guy later on, maybe an Aaron Rodgers or a Derek Carr or a um, Tom Brady or whatever as your second guy in that realm. And that way you're just done. And then you can just work on stacks and everything else. Um, like Chris was saying, I don't love the, the dead zone this year as far as running backs. I don't mind that next – that next tier, like he was saying, the, the Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and the Miles Sanders and, and those guys. But that's a little bit past the dead zone, I think, from from what, you know, the, the true definition of what it is. So um, I'm definitely not doing that. Um, I, the only, and I know we'll, we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, um, but I am definitely a either pay all the way up or wait as far as tight end goes. So I'm definitely not in the in, in shopping for a tight end in, in those rounds. The only guy I will take, and I kind of talked myself into it after writing an article on him this morning, is Dalton Schultz. So he's a guy I will sprinkle in that I will grab in that dead zone because I think he's a guy that – or not dead zone, I'm sorry, in the middle rounds uh, because I think he's a guy that has the potential to be you know, in the top five uh, and he's pretty cheap. I mean, he's going you know pretty late right now. He's I think I think his ADP is 72. Um, so he's a guy that if you're too kind of squeamish to wait all the way till you know the 12th and later, um, but you don't want to pay up for the top guys, I think he's a guy that um, is a pretty good price right now that that might has the potential to kind of sneak into that elite tier. 
Excellent, excellent. Um, let's let's start with tight end. Actually, no, last week we started with quarterback and ended on tight end. Let's start with tight ends. Uh, I'm kind of with you, Jen. Uh, pay up or or wait. Uh, there is a, a couple guys I like. I really like T.J. Hawkinson this year. I liked him last year, but I had to pay a fourth round pick for him last year. This year he's available in the seventh round on underdog right now. So I'm kind of back in on Hawkinson. While it's not a point of the draft where I'm really looking at the position, if he's there in the seventh. Uh, I'll usually pull the trigger there. It's a, it's a, I, I just like his potential in that offense. He was very solid when he was on the field last year. And even though they did add Jamison Williams, they did add DJ Chark. I think that he'll continue to be a red zone target. And I think the offense will be better and he'll have more opportunities at the red zone. So I like Hawkinson a lot. Uh, Chris, what's your favorite tight end to target in this zone? And do you have a, a similar strategy to tight end as Jen and I? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I uh, actually looked at the advanced rates like for tight ends that are typically taken in the middle rounds. And while it's not like a massive bar to clear, really the only thing you're looking for is, let's say, top 12 production like at that. And I'm talking about like on a weekly basis uh, for the past like couple of seasons, actually just looking at last year alone, uh, the minimum amount or like the average i take that back the average number of top 12 appearances for the four tight ends that had a higher than baseline playoff advance rate was about eight and so that was like mike gusecki rob gronkowski hunter henry and zach Ertz. like were, were the four guys that i looked at like from from last year's group and it's not just like the targets because we knew that like mike gusecki his week-to-week -week, like target uh, volume would fluctuate same thing with Zach Ertz, like until we saw more steady production once he moved down to Arizona. But it's it's all about the red zone, because really for a guy to get into the top 12 at tight end, if you can catch a pass and fall down in the end zone, you're probably going to be a top 12 tight end. And these guys were perfect, like they had they were the perfect archetype for a mid round tight end because they had all of the opportunity once they got into the red zone. Zach Ertz, 23.9% red zone target share last year. Hunter Henry, 23.6%. I mean, Rob Gronkowski and Mike Gusecki were able to get away with the lower red zone target volume. That's just because they were getting, let's say, at minimum, like five to six targets like per week, like over, like if you average that over the entire season. But if you're also, if you have, it, let's say, a 12 to 14% overall target share, combined with that red zone target share that's that's the type of profile that that you're looking for so while i'm not as high on zach Ertz as i was la as, as i was last year i do think he still kind of fits the role like him guys like him tyler higby logan thomas i mean those guys that you can see having let's say a few targets per game but once their team actually moves into the red zone they're probably going to be the if not the first then the second option like on that team's passing tree I I can't, I can't with Tyler Higby. We know the slander. Yeah, but those guys are late. Those guys that. are late round, Chris. So you're kind of cheating here. We talked about <laughs> those guys last week, like Higby and Logan Thomas. Like those are not round six through eleven. Like Logan Thomas. Oh, when I looked at him, they were like he was like a tenth rounder. Like Logan Tyler Thomas Higby was 10th is rounder. like one ninety four right now, which is like the seventeenth round. Oh, really? He is now. Yeah, and, and Higby's okay. at one. Higby's at one sixty three. So, oh, wow. Yeah. They've got moved out of so there. So you are uh, you are not talking about mid-round This is Chris ends. doubling down <laughs> on I'm not taking a tight end in that range. Pretty I'm much. Like, no, no yes. I'm just talking about the archetype of guys. If those specific guys are out of there, then that's fine. I will sure. bow to whatever the ADP gods say right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the listen, they may, they may shoot up as, as the summer goes on, but... No, um, that's fine. You know, I, I, I have... Ertz actually fits in there because he was my guy that I wrote down. He's a 10th rounder right now. 
Um, and so I, I like, like him and, and, and Schultz is, is one that I feel like he's probably going to jump up because a lot of people are kind of jumping on the Schultz bandwagon a little bit. Um, so right now I think he's a seventh rounder, but he may, he may spike up a little bit. Ertz feels like a 10th round bargain. Like he feel, cause he, he produced at a high rate when he got to Arizona last year. Right. And, and you've theoretically, got, Kyler yeah. Murray will be healthy theoretically. Yeah. So and Hopkins out for six weeks and you know, Hollywood Brown is Hollywood Brown, but he's had, you know, he's had some, some issues. He hasn't been like this elite guy. And as far as red zone targets are concerned, it's basically going to be him and whatever's left of AJ green. Right. Possibly. Because Hollywood be. and Rondale Moore are pretty small, I would think. So they were running quite a, quite a bit in the red zone, if memory serves. It's true. Though. Yeah, Connor Connor should continue to get goal line touches as well. Which uh, I wonder is is he a dead zone running back, James Connor? No, or he's, he's higher. Early, he's right? he's yeah, up he's right early. now. Yeah, third third fourth round somewhere in there. He's going okay. pretty early. He's he's a scary early pick for me, just as far as injury and stuff. It's yeah, a it's gonna be the scary. same. The same. His thing ADP with him. is thirty three. Yeah, he's at 33 uh, right now. I, that's just too rich for me for someone like that. Yeah. It's it, let, We're going to say the same thing goes into he'd love him if he's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> same thing that it's been for but him. But that's a so. lot. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of chain or, you know, a lot of coin, virtual coin for, you know, a, a guy at 30, at 33. It's like when you can have, let's see, you know, you can have a, you know, a Mike Williams or, you know, a Jalen Waddle in that realm. I'm, I'm going to take those guys before I'm going to take Connor, but that's just me. Very fair. So which uh, you said you are targeting quarterbacks in these middle rounds area, which quarterbacks are you targeting the most right now, Jen? Um, In these, <coughs> excuse me, in these middle rounds, I really like Jalen Hurts. I mean, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, but uh, you know, he's a guy that I'll take in those. I'm about to cough. Hold on a second. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but he's a guy that I like for the dual threat ability early on. Um, I also really like Russ. The frustrating thing, I like Russell Wilson a lot, and I just haven't been able to get him. Like, for some reason, where I end up in these underdog drafts, like, I seem to have to – like, today, for example, I did a puppy this morning, and I actually reached for him um, because I couldn't – I had already taken, I think, Sutton, and, and I was I was planning on a stack, and I ended up reaching about seven, eight picks too early for him because I just don't seem to be able to get him. But – um, I think he's in a really good spot in Denver, and I think that you know people are kind of forgetting what he can do with his legs and with his arm. And um, you know he's falling to I think he's in the eighth right now, or no, the seventh. So I think that you know he's a guy that uh, I've been targeting as well. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of other you know, like I said, um, Aaron Rodgers. I'll take I'll take Derek Carr. I'll take some of these other guys in that range too. Russ's efficiency has been so good throughout his career with subpar offensive line play and now and subpar like volume. So like you expect the efficiency to go down a little bit with more volume, but more volume with his talent is very interesting. I, I like that. Chris, who's your quarterback? Uh, yeah, for me, it probably has been like Russ. If I can grab him, uh, Dak Prescott, like isn't too hateful at that spot as well. If everybody is like more quote unquote down on the Cowboys offense, but I think the strategy for targeting those guys is, is absolutely spot on. Uh, I'd found similar numbers to what TJ had looked at. Like if you wind up taking a quarterback, let's say in the, like the earlier rounds, but then the typical way that folks have gone about it is they want to try and grab a quarterback like say later in the draft right because you think all right well i've got my guy i don't really need to go ahead and like grab a second one at any point later i've got patch mahomes i'll get Derek carr or whatever in the 14th 15th round but actually the advance rates show something separate if you wind up getting an early round quarterback 
and you draft a second quarterback in the eighth round, 25.2% playoff advance rate. But if you continue to wait, your playoff advance rate has actually started, like continues to decrease as you go out 24.6%, 21.7, 16.7. So it falls like each round that you wind up waiting to grab your second quarterback. So if I can get a guy like Russ, Tom Brady also kind of falls into that group as well. I mean, those are the guys that I'm trying to target. And if I can, and I think the way that I wrote it, just like double tap the position. If I wind up building out my roster throughout the first six, so running back, wide receiver, and tight end, I'll just double tap quarterback at like the seventh, seventh and eighth round and try and see if I can stack my quarterbacks with the wide receivers I might have selected beforehand. You know, I knew I knew Chris, I knew you'd bail me out with actual stats. So I appreciate that. I just rambled. I knew it was there, but I knew you'd bail me out with the actual numbers. So I do appreciate that. No, no, thank you. I, I I ramble about good stuff sometimes. No, I listen. We we had the same point. I just knew you would actually make it better. I just kind of threw it out there. But I was like, are... hey, I wrote something about that, but yeah. I don't remember all the numbers. I knew, so I yeah, I, I, knew, I knew you'd I knew you'd come correct with that. I just kind of threw the actual thing out there. But thank you for bailing me out. Meanwhile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, I didn't write down my uh, my guys because I was like my guys are going to be the same ones as Jen and Chris and the, the guys I was going to write down were Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott. Those are the guys that I target uh, for the same reasons that you listed. I love Jalen Hurts. The upside based on his draft position is just ridiculous. Even if he bombs out, I think his floor is high enough to be a, a quality starter. And then Dak, you know he was good last year and the Cowboys were wildly disappointing offensively. So if they get better uh, at all this year, then, you know, this could be a top five offense of the league and Dak should benefit from that. So I, I love it. Uh, let's go to running backs. Let's start with you, Chris. What are you, who are your running backs uh, that you're targeting in rounds six through 11? So the first thing that I've tried to look at is try to figure out, all right, well, what type of, what's the archetype of running back that we should be trying to focus on? Like once we get into the mid rounds, because at that point we're past primarily like most of the guys that have pass catching upside. So really what you're trying to look for, and this has been the case actually for the past couple of seasons, guys that have injury upside, but they also have contingent value. So if, whether it's, I think the easiest example would be an AJ Dillon right? Because we know that on a weekly basis, he's going to have this scattered amount of touches, like whether they be red zone touches or just like touches between between the twenties, that's the guy that you're looking for. Also involved in the passing game as well. I think AJ Dillon is probably the gold standard of an archetype of running back you would want in the middle rounds, but there are other running backs too, that at least have similar upside. Like should anybody in the offense go down, their workload would essentially increase or if they get phased out. Devin Singletary is probably going to be my guy for the, for this year because I think when James Cook was drafted, everyone was like, I mean, shiny shiny new toy syndrome almost immediately because we knew what James Cook was drafted to do. I mean, they were, uh, the Buffalo Bills they were after J.D. McKissick. I mean, they also brought in. I think they also have Duke Johnson's on the roster as well, if I remember correctly. I think he's uh, I think he's hanging out in the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like they they want that type of option for Josh Allen, like on third downs or in passing situations. And I get that, especially with Cole Beasley leaving. They want to have as many shifty guys that he could probably pass to in the middle of the field if they want to. But Devin Singletary. Over the last, the final like six weeks of the season, I mean, he was top 12 in terms of efficiency, short yardage situations, like you name it, like he was out there, like he was being like productive running back. And so if we're also excited about, and this is a completely different running back in terms of his athletic profile, but if we're excited about Leonard Fournette carrying the mail for Tom Brady, 
I'm also excited about a guy that's carrying the mail for, for Josh Allen, another I mean, that's ahead of another productive offense. And so while I guess Josh Allen is always going to be considered the goal line back for his team, this is a guy that's, I mean, his dead cap hit like triples like after this season. So if they're the team's already positioning themselves in order to have at least more options for him to pass to, and also if you think about that from an, another perspective, less chances for him to run, then Devin Singletary could be the guy that they continues to scoop up that volume because it's not like they're trotting out Zach Moss, or at least they're not positioning themselves to trot out Zach Moss anymore. So I think Devin Singletary is probably going to be my guy that I'm going to try and get as much of throughout the draft season because everyone's going to want James Cook. Everyone's going to want Josh Allen because of the rushing, but if Devin Single gets even a little bit more, like once they get into the red zone, he could be very productive from a fantasy standpoint. And this ADP has, has plummeted, like considering the production that he had at the end of the year. Uh, I'm with you. I like Devin Singletary. I think we're kind of forgetting about him, and that's actually not a knock on James Cook. I like James Cook, too. I, I think that both of them uh, can be productive in that offense, and I think that for the, the price, Devin Singletary is going to be productive for some people. Uh, Jen, who are your running backs that you like? Well, um, I'll skip James Cook because that's who I have there as my <laughs> as one of my guys. Because um, I, I, you know, I like him and I like him for similar yet different reasons as Singletary. I think uh, I, I just I think like like Chris said, they were shopping for for JD McKissick. They want a pass catching back. They've wanted a pass catching back for years. They got a young guy that is that. So I do like him. I mean, they're very similar in ADP. I've seen them interchangeable in drafts. People just and they almost they 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 often go back to back uh, in drafts. Uh, but no, another guy I like I like Ken Walker a lot. Uh, you know, there's something about you know obviously a Seattle running back that has fresh legs. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll wants to establish. He will always establish. So you know, you've got <clears throat> between whether Chris Carson's coming back or not. Don't know. Rashad Penny already hurt. So I think Walker's in a, in a situation where he could walk in and have a lot of usage. And he's an eighth rounder. So he's usually a guy that I will target either if I'm going zero RB, which I don't really do too often, or if I'm doing healer, hero RB or bully RB or whatever the crap you want to call it. He's a guy that I will grab as my, as my second or possibly third running back um, in, in a best ball league, because I feel like you know, he's going to get a lot of usage and a lot of volume and hopefully he's good. I mean, that's the thing. It's like in that offense, he doesn't need to, you know, catch passes. He just needs to run the football. Um, and Pete Carroll's going to ask him to run the football. So I think, uh, you know, his ADP might rise as, as training camps get underway, but if it doesn't, I like him there in that eighth round. Excellent. Yeah. I I'm with you on Kenneth Walker. Actually. I, uh, you know, Seattle was 27th in rushing attempts last season. Uh, which means they they couldn't keep their offense on the field. They were still 11th in rushing yards per game. So they want to run the ball, and they're going to have that opportunity. I, I understand that Rashad Penny is there, and I understand that he's going to get a lot of work. Uh, Rashad Penny has has missed 43% of the possible games he's had to play. So uh, I hope he's healthy. Super excited about Rashad Penny uh, for his career. Uh, rooting for the kid, not banking on him playing a full season or getting a full workload. I think that Seattle will probably take a look at that and view it as a 1A, 1B situation that we don't know Chris Carson's uh, situation right now. His career might be done, unfortunately, as much as I love him. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Melvin Gordon in the 10th. Like, I understand yes, that. Yes. Yeah, I understand that it's not cool I have a lot like of Melvin, Melvin Gordon. No, but I like him. They brought him back. He's going to get work 10th round, uh, you know, at that point. 
uh, in the draft. You're looking for guys that are going to get you some points that are going to get in the end zone sometimes. I think Melvin Gordon's going to do that. Uh, and then nobody wants to draft Josh Jacobs. Uh, I'll take him in the sixth round. I think I'll take be- him too. Yeah, I think there's going to be more touchdowns in this offense. Not all the time, but I'll take him. Yeah, more touchdowns in this offense. He's 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 my third running back in a lot of my um, uh, hyper-fragile builds. Like uh, I'll kind of fluctuate between Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders, who we've talked about a lot. Miles Sanders is available in the seventh. We've talked about him a lot as a, as a, a target in these middle rounds too. But uh, I like Josh Jacobs. He gets touches. And, uh, you know, the, the old like uh, – um, you know, Billy Bean concept of he gets on base from Moneyball, right? Like he he gets touches. If he gets touches, I'm at least a little bit interested, right? So, uh, <laughs> so those are my running backs. I like the guys you got you guys brought up as well, Jen. Uh, let's go to you for your receivers that you're targeting. Uh, let's see who I wrote down here. Um, oh, okay. Um, I like Alan Lazard in the eighth. I think at the moment there, there's not a lot going on in green Bay. I think we Love talked about it. Yeah. I mean, in the eighth round, he's, he's usually there and not a lot of competition right now for targets. And at least he's a body that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is familiar with. So I think that, you know, they have the chemistry. I think he's someone I like another guy. I like that. A lot of people do not, uh, is Robert Woods in the ninth. I feel like people are just kind of writing him off because he got hurt last year and, but, I mean, in that Tennessee offense, there's just not a lot going on there. I mean, A.J. Brown is gone. Like, I feel like Woods – I mean, yes, they are run heavy. Yes, that offense goes through Derrick Henry. But I think Tannehill and Woods, if they can get – you know, if they can gel, I feel like he's a guy that people are kind of blowing off. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to take him in every league or anything, but I feel like he's someone right now with a ninth-round ADP that, you know, if you decide to go running back heavy and you need to scoop some of those guys up in those middle rounds, I think he's there. Um, I do have one more guy that I like that I kind of added at the last minute that has been growing on me is Jarvis Landry. Um, I yeah, know right. I know people aren't super thrilled about Jameis Winston, nor am I, but I feel like, once again, in that offense, I mean, everywhere Jarvis has been, he's been a target hog. So why not show up in New Orleans? If Michael Thomas isn't, you know, full health or isn't good to go, you've got a rookie in Olave, like Jarvis Landry's there. And um, I feel like they could, you know, he could possibly be a sneaky guy that, to get a lot of volume, especially, you know, in any kind of PPR format. And he's right now going to the 11th. Especially we see a suspension or something from Alvin Kamara or anything along those lines. Right. Like, Ninja could just eat in that, uh, in that, like, I think he's kind of, yeah, yeah, he's going kind of, people are just kind of writing him off or forgetting about him. But it's like, wait a minute. Like, he's, you know, he's there and there's not a lot there, for, you know, in that offense. I keep drafting Robert Woods just because um, I'm used to drafting Robert Woods. I've always drafted yes. Robert Woods. This is what yeah. I do. <laughs> Chris, who are your receivers? Um, the one guy that I'm trying to get as much as I possibly can in the middle rounds is Kadarius Tony, And I think right now there's so much there has been, at least not right now. I think it's been kind of quiet on him, but like there's so much drama surrounding him. Like remember last year with the whole like cleats debacle and just all these extra. Oh, there was a lot of noise. Are, yeah, there was just so much noise. And even coming into this offseason, there were like rumors about him getting traded, just always negative news surrounding him. But when he's been on the field, my goodness, it was week four, the first game that he started, like for the Giants after like injuries or whatever that kind of hampered this early part of the season, starts in week four against the Saints, who have been known to have a, a strong defensive secondary led the team in targets. That's with Kenny Galladay also on the field with him. Saquon Barkley was still there. I mean, this was still an offense that had key pieces as a part of it. Kadarius Tony enters the, like, 
you know, enters the team or enter, like gets on the field as a rookie and leads the team in targets with nine targets. I mean, that's that's already kind of an eyebrow raising moment, like for me, like right there. The fact that this rookie can come in, command that level of targets or that level of target share right out of the gate. But then we've seen so many highlights, like the shiftiness, the acceleration, the burst, like once he gets on the field and like once he gets the ball in his hands. He was one like top 12 in yards per route run efficiency stat, like from pro football focus like, against man coverage just last year. And that was with just, I think, 54 targets like total now in the top 40, I believe, in uh, in yards per route run against zone coverage. But the man coverage part is real. That's really impressive. Like for a rookie of his size and his stature, I mean, built essentially kind of like Tyreek Hill. I mean, has that same like jitterbug type of movement once you get the ball in his hands. But to see that level of efficiency from a rookie against good corners, a good against good defensive corners, like right out of the gate. And for where he's going for right now, around 100th overall, in a part of a scheme that most of us are excited about now with so much of the Bills offense like being integrated into the Giants franchise as of right now. So if it's not Kenny Galladay, I mean, I'm trying to get as much Kadarius Tony as I possibly can. I mean, tons of upside there, like without a doubt. And you, you talk about Brian Dable coming over. This, this offense can't be as bad as it was last year. Like it almost that, just, no, just statistically can't. Be. That, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not possible after the quarterback play that we were subjected to, like towards the back end of the season. Like it's just not possible. Oh, it was. It was awful. It's. It's why I'm targeting Kenny Galladay, and I like. I like Kadarius Tony as well. I'm targeting some Tony as well. Uh, Kenny Galladay. 10th, 11th round, like early 11th, late 10th round is where you get Kenny Galladay. Uh, stylistically, he's still the only like prototype X receiver on that roster. Like I mean, Darius Slayton, if you squint really, really close every once in a while, you can see it in him. But generally speaking, Galladay has the size and the deep threat ability. Um, I was looking at Galladay like since he entered the league, even with two down seasons la the last two years, he's still like eighth in the league in yards per reception. Uh, among players with at least 100 targets since 2017. So uh, the guy is a downfield threat. It's just something that he does really well. He wins deep. Um, better offensive line should give a little more time uh, for the Giants, and that should allow Galladay to get downfield. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sold that Galladay is going to rebound after two injury-marred seasons, but 10th, 11th round, I, I mean, he's the only guy in that range that looks like he's, he could be a wide receiver one right in that spot. So... Uh, so I like him and I, I like Tyler Lockett kind of like for Robert Woods's reason. I, I just keep drafting him. I've always drafted him and now he's there in the eighth round. So I'll buy the dip. Um, yes, I'm worried about Geno Smith. Yes, I'm worried about Drew Locke. But in best ball, Tyler Lockett is he's still going to have three games where he gets multiple touchdowns. Like it's just what he does. And so I, I'm going to do that. Um, I, the only dilemma I have for him is whether I take him or Christian Kirk in the eighth round. That's it. That's <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, there's somebody I don't like in these rounds because I thought, I thought he was going way lower than this. Uh, Elijah Moore is a sixth round pick. He's going ahead of Devonte Smith, Adam Thielen, Hunter Renfro. He's going ahead of these guys. What do you guys think of this? I agree with that. It's difficult for me to see him out kicking his ADP. And that's not from a talent. That's not from a talent standpoint. Oh, sure. Love the I, kid. I, yeah, I still think that he, I think maybe from a dynasty standpoint, you can make the case for maybe trying to acquire him in a trade or whatever. But for this year, just think of all the things that have to go right for Elijah Moore to be, let's say, a high-end fantasy target. Like one, he has to 
earn targets in an offense that is going to have, I mean, piloted by Zach Wilson, but also added Jamison Williams. Zach Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, sorry. He's buff. Yeah, and then also the two (laughs) tight ends as well. I mean, they've added more pass catchers in the lob. I mean, Brees Hall is also supposed to command targets as well. So target competition is there for him. And then also Zach Wilson being under center, we're expecting him to make like his leap, like from uh, from his like awful rookie season. So, I mean, you're expecting like both of those things to hit for Elijah Moore, and that's not really priced in at this point. In, in my eyes, I mean, like we were just talking, I mean, if we've got Kadarius Tony and then uh, also Kenny Galladay, who really the only thing that has to go right is for Daniel Jones to stay upright, that's one less thing that Elijah Moore has to worry about. So it's just the, the case for either of the Giants receivers to me is much stronger than Elijah Moore right now, to be quite honest. I'm with you. Sixth round, sixth round. And, and I'm with you. I like Elijah Moore. And, but you're right. Everything has to go right for him to be worth that pick. It's yes. not even like you're it's not even just to the exceed ceiling. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not even to exceed it. It's just for him to meet his cost. Ah. That's the way I feel. Um, that's all I got this week on on mid round. Uh, anyone you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Hit all of my guys, mm-hmm. Jen. Uh, no, I think uh, we're good. I think I was able to talk about everybody I had written down here. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, this was fun. Thank you both. We'll do early rounders next week, uh, which will be a blast. Make sure once again uh, you go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, take a screenshot, tweet it at our four for four football Twitter account uh, to enter into the Scott Fishbowl entry giveaway. And uh, that's all we've got. So thank you, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out. Have a good day.